Well, friends, let's begin by attending to the Word of God in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'm going to read the section that begins in verse 1 of chapter 3 through verse 13. Hear the Word of the Lord. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to God's eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. They are your glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every human being and every human community is on a quest. I think the deepest truth of every human life and every human community's life is a quest for a big enough story. Every one of us is looking for a big enough story to make sense of our lives. What would a big enough story be like? Well, it would offer the possibility of dramatic action. The best stories give you something significant to do. Human beings have a powerful drive for significance. You can argue that, that the drive for significance, for meaning, for dramatic action is as powerful as the basic human impulses towards hunger, towards avoidance of pain. As deep as pleasure and pain is the desire to do something meaningful. And a good story, a big enough story, tells you how your life, your action, could be part of something really significant. And then a big story, a big enough story, would call for significant sacrifice, which is meaningful suffering. 
Because every human life finds itself implicated in and drawn into suffering. And the question of our lives is, will the suffering of my life have meaning? Will it be significant? Or will it be, as suffering so often seems, without meaning? Every big enough story would give you a reason for meaningful action. Every story would call you to meaningful sacrifice. And every story that would be big enough to make sense of your life would not yet be finished. It has to be an unfinished story. If the story's already done, if it's already wrapping up, if it's just the end game, why get involved? I, got on, uh, I landed at O'Hare Airport earlier this week, and uh, we pulled up to the gate, and the gate agent uh, got on the little announcement thing to welcome us to Chicago and said, Welcome to Chicago, the home of the 1908 World Series champion, Chicago Cubs. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I mean, that story is already over. It was over a long time ago. That's the suffering. I don't know if being a Cubs fan is meaningful suffering. I suspect it may not be meaningful suffering, but I will tell you, after yesterday's win, they are still in that two-slot uh, two uh, position for the wild card. There is still hope for this season. The story is not finished, not until the elimination number has been reached. Can I get a hallelujah? We wait for that elimination number. This is baseball, for those of you who come from other parts of the world. Um, because we want to know if the story's finished yet. And if it's not finished, it might be a story worthy of our participation. What's the unfinished story in your life? There is something. There's something in your life that calls forth the best of you, that makes sense of the sufferings you experience. When we're young, these can be relatively small, uh, things like figuring out how to walk on two legs. Everybody celebrates that, watches while that little baby devotes all of his or her attention and action and suffering, bonk, you know, but finally gets up and then we sort of progress, right? But as we get older, we start looking for a big enough story. And I think a very deep fear in human lives is being trapped inside a too small story. So some people grow up in a small town and they start to feel like the story of my small town just doesn't have room for who I'm going to be. And they move to the city, move to a bigger place, leave home to try to get out of that small story into a bigger story. Some of us know what it's like to be in a job that just feels like this story is not big enough. I don't have anything to do here. There's not anything meaningful about my suffering here. Is there something better for me? In our world right now, hundreds of thousands of people, perhaps eventually millions, are feeling trapped inside two small stories of their own nations or the, the parts of the world that were once a nation that are now broken into warring factions, each with its own quest for domination and dominion. And what would prompt you to leave your home with your family at tremendous peril, seeking out another place, if not a sense that this story was getting so small that it could literally snuff out your own life and the life of your children. And the global flight of refugees is a flight to another story, a bigger, better story, in which they might still have the capacity to act and in which their suffering might still be meaningful. And yet, on the other hand, why are these warlords... uh, perpetrating the violence that they are? Why are young people leaving Europe where the refugees are fleeing to? Young people leaving Europe to join ISIS and fight on behalf of ISIS. Because even in Europe, 
even in the center of affluence and Western civilization, it's possible to feel this story is too small. I need to be part of something bigger. I want something meaningful. And this gives us a clue that there are some stories that look big, but actually are not big enough. It's possible to give your life to something that looks like it's going to be expansive, that looks like it's going to give your life meaning. And in fact, it's going to turn out to be far smaller than you might imagine. What are some of those stories in our own culture? I suppose one of the big ones is the story of every romantic comedy, true love. And when you think you're on the edge of true love, you feel like you're walking into this incredible story and there's lots of meaningful things to do. Among some of my friends, like building up to the engagement has become this huge process. Like I just asked my wife to marry me and it was, and she said yes. And then we were done with that part. But now people like have film crews like we have today in worship. There are whole film crews, you know, the steady cam and everything to film the engagement moment because there's this sense, this is our story. This is our time. And it is, a, that's a big story. It's almost big enough. And then you get to the wedding day, and the wedding may be awesome, and then you realize, I'm like, at least this is how I felt, I'm like the dog that caught the car. Like now, what, what's next? I have to actually live with this person. <laughs> I forgot about that part. And that story can, that seemed so big, can at some point in your life start to feel small, and you think, is there a bigger story? You can chase the story of career. That if you invest yourself in a profession or in a company, that that's going to give you scope for action, meaningful sacrifice. There's an unfinished story to pursue. And that is almost big enough. Except that you might find, and it's strange how often we find, that actually the more successful you become in these almost big enough stories, the smaller they start to seem. One of the people who's succeeded at a more extraordinary level than almost any other human being is... Uh, a very popular man. His name is Tom Brady. He's the quarterback of the New England Patriots. And in 2005, 10 years ago, Steve Croft of CBS interviewed Tom Brady. It's a very famous moment in American celebrity because it was such a telling moment, such an unguarded moment. Steve Croft asked Tom Brady, what what do you make of your success? And here's what Tom Brady said in a very unguarded way. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. And Steve Croft says, well, what's the answer? And on film, Brady says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. (laughs) Tom Brady inhabits one of the big stories of our world is at the very pinnacle of success in that story. And he's finding it's smaller on the inside than it looks like from the outside. Now, that was 2005. He now has four Super Bowl rings. I think he's all set now. And actually, it's awesome. (laughs) And he was dating a model then, but he's married a supermodel. I'm sure he has no more complaints about the smallness. No, actually, there are not enough Super Bowl rings in the world. If you're living only for that story, it gets too small. It's smaller on the inside than it is on the outside. We look at a story like that, we think, now that would be awesome. Actually live on the inside, and you feel very constrained. And you say, I wish I knew what there is more than this. There is something bigger. There is something that's bigger on the inside than the outside. 
It's called a TARDIS. So the TARDIS is sort of the key item in the BBC franchise Doctor Who. It's a time machine and a spacecraft. It can go anywhere in the space-time continuum when properly piloted by an adept time lord. And the TARDIS looks like a little blue police call box. But actually, it's bigger on the inside than it looks like. And you can discover this because you can find it in Google Street View. If you go to Earl's Court, this is, I did this just yesterday, go to Earl's Court in London, you'll see a little uh, ordinary-looking blue uh, police call box. But if you click in just the right place, you'll go inside in Google Street View, and you'll discover this is what's inside. <laughs> it's awesome. And one of the catchphrases of the Doctor Who series is, it's bigger on the inside. Doesn't look like much on the outside, but wow, when you get inside this thing... You can go anywhere. You can do anything. Is there a story like that, a real story, that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside? There is. And this is the story Paul is writing to the Ephesians about. Paul is writing about a massive, unfinished story that compasses all of meaningful human action, that makes sense of all human suffering, And did you notice how the language in the passage I read is full of promises of something big, something purposeful, the mystery of Christ that's now revealed in which the Gentiles are now sharers in the promise with Israel of God's power, God's plan, God's eternal purpose. The church is going to actually bear witness to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places of the wisdom of God. This is a story saturated with dramatic action with profound sacrifice. And as Paul writes to the Ephesians, and as we read it today, it is an unfinished story. Chapters still to be written, parts of it still to be told, parts for us still to play. It's a story that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Because when Paul writes the Ephesians, how many Christians, followers of Christ, are there in the world? A few, I don't know, 10,000? Scattered in tiny little churches around the rim of the Mediterranean? in the midst of the vastest, most, most adept and advanced global technological and uh, economic empire of its time, an empire which, by the way, holds Paul prisoner in its grip, will eventually execute Paul, it does not look like the story of Paul's life and his little community in Ephesus is anything like as big as the story of the empire of Rome. It doesn't look like anything at all. These little communities that probably could fit in a a room a a quarter the size of this room in Ephesus. A few Jews, a few Gentiles gathered to worship in the name of Jesus. And yet Paul believes that the story of the ecclesia, the church, the gathered community, is bigger than any other story. That the reconciliation that is happening in these churches is of ultimate significance. It's in fact the great unfinished story of human life. Rome looks like a big story. It actually ends up being in the, in the massive scale of world history a surprisingly small story. And a story that was beginning, as Paul wrote, that he somehow had faith to see has now spread beyond anything any empire could ever have imagined to the corners of the world, to every nation, tribe, language, people. The only story that is big enough in our world is God's story. 
Ephesians takes place, this one letter, this one group of churches takes place in the midst of the great story of the cosmos, which is the creation of a good world that then at the climax of creation is populated with image bearers whose commission is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, take over dominion of it in the name of its maker, not domination, not exploitation, not violence, but instead fruitful tending of the world so that as the image bearers spread out through the world, all the latent potentialities within the world will begin to be realized as they cultivate it, as they explore it, as they act meaningfully within it. This world was meant to flourish under the tending of those who alone of all the creatures that God made could be said to be made in His image. But at a crucial moment, the image bearers settled for an almost big enough story. Eat this fruit and you'll be like God. You shall not surely die. They settled for a story that looked big. That sounds very promising. You should try that fruit. But it ended up being actually constricting, made their lives smaller and smaller, made their own relationships with each other more and more vulnerable, more and more fraught, more and more full, ultimately of murder, violence, exploitation. And they began to abuse the creation itself so that now the whole cosmos groans as it waits for the revealing of image bearers who would tend the world in the way that it was meant to be tended. Within this story, God planted the story of Israel. And Israel was meant to be a big enough story. It was meant to be a blessing to the nations. But Israel's story got too small. Israel became about Israel's own self-preservation. They started to worship other gods on the side. They started to engage in the same kinds of injustice as their neighbors. And when any institution, organization, nation, or church begins to live just to preserve itself, does not constantly pour itself back out into mission, into participation in God's work in the world. It forgets its real purpose. It becomes its own too small story. And so we have Christian versions of this as well. There are versions of our own faith, our Christian faith, that become a not big enough story. Maybe the most common one right now is what Christian Smith, the sociologist, calls moralistic therapeutic deism. It's basically the idea that God wants you to be good. That's moralistic. Wants you to be happy. That's therapeutic. And he's not really that involved. That's deism. God wants you to be good, happy. He's not so, he doesn't care that much about the details of your life. He's distant. That's a small story compared to the dramatic demands of the gospel for holiness, not just goodness. For sacrifice, not just happiness. For intimacy with a God who is personally present, who has paid the greatest cost to give us free access to Him. That's theism, not deism. And if there's one reason we really need you all here with us, you, our mission partners, it's to connect us back to this big story. I... It can sometimes feel, when you have a lot of resources, as churches in North America do, that our mission partners need us for the giving we're able to do, the prayers we're able to offer, and and they do. But it's much more important to say, we need you to come into our midst and remind us of the story we're actually a part of. Because we ourselves, even with all that we've been given, or maybe especially with with all we've been given, 
can live a very small story even when the big story of God continues in the world, is in the world right around us. If only we'd listen to what you're seeing, to what there is to see in this world of God's big story. But maybe you, our friends who are partners in mission, also need this moment. Because you may feel like your story feels pretty small. Many of you serve in places that are not marked with the trappings of significance that surround us in the United States. Many of you do work that few people reward or recognize. Many of you do it at tremendous cost, and you need to remember, and we perhaps can help you remember, you are part of the story that's bigger on the inside than the outside. What you are doing is of eternal importance. It matters for you, it matters for us, and it matters for the flourishing of the world. And if you are suffering, and who can be in mission anywhere and not suffer? Your sufferings are our glory. Your sufferings give glory to God. Your sufferings participate in Christ's suffering. Do not lose heart. You are part of the big enough story for human life, and we are with you in this partnership. And once you know this story, that God is on a global mission to restore His image in every place where it has been lost, your almost big enough story can be transformed. Because actually the little stories you've given yourself to actually are meant to participate in this bigger story. So have you given yourself over to the almost big enough story of uh, nationalism or ethnic identity, the the, uh, celebration of a culture, the celebration of a people? Well, Ephesians will tell you, you now have a new citizenship. You now have a new identity, a new national and and cultural identity in a way, the people of God. But also your current citizenship and your ethnic identity is now part of God's plan for the rich diversity of his image in the world. Have you made work your almost big enough story and you're starting to find it's a little too small? Well, Ephesians will tell you, God has work for you. You were created for good work, good works in Christ Jesus. And also, the daily work you do can be part of bearing the image of God where you are and restoring the image of God in the world. Have you made love and family your big story and find it's not quite big enough? You're now members of a new family, a bigger household than you ever imagined. And your family's mission is not just sort of leisure and consumption and uh, self-preservation. It's a mission. Your family is part of a bigger household that tells the true story of God in the world. When I think about this, I think about two daughters that I've come to know, one a little bit and one very well. One daughter, uh, her name is Ganti. I met her in a district called Gudiatam, west of Chennai in India. Ganti's the daughter of, small, of a family in that, uh, in that, in one village. I met her with a few of her schoolmates and also a man named Jaikumar Christian, who's the head of World Vision India. Jaikumar had taken me to Ganti's town to meet her. She's the one, by the way, who's right in the middle with the braids and the very confident expression. In her school uniform, about the age my daughter was when I met her, my own daughter. Ganti, a few years before I met her, a few, actually just a year before I met her, was trapped in a terribly small story. She was trapped in the story of bonded labor in India, a form of modern-day slavery 
in which poor families who cannot meet an urgent financial need go to a local businessman for a loan, 50 or $60 dollars in U.S. dollars. When they can't repay the loan, the interest is, is rising uh, faster and faster. The henchmen of the businessmen come and say, well, you can't pay the loan with money, but you could pay with a child. And so they take their child out of school, send that child to work, rolling uh, cigarettes, making little matches, pounding stones into gravel. And this is what Gandhi's life had become. A man who will exploit a young girl or boy for that kind of labor will exploit them for anything. And her life, which was meant to be part of the expansive story of God's image-bearing, was now constricted to a little backyard of a little dirty shop where a man extracted her labor without any compensation. And by the way, adding her room and board, alleged room and board, to the bill so that actually the family's debt grew faster after they put her into bonded labor than it had grown before. But Gandhi's life had been taken up into a bigger story. The international Christian organization World Vision had come into this district. For 10 years they worked to begin to turn around this practice that had been part of life in that village for generations. And Gandhi was now free, She was now back in school. You saw the picture. She was healthy, confident. I had a little conversation. I asked her, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Gandhi said, I want to be a doctor because we don't have a doctor in my village. And so I'm going to go off, become a doctor, and then come back and be the doctor for my village. Now that's a bigger story. That's a story that gives Gandhi the image-bearing dignity she was meant to have. She's no longer stuck in that oppressive, cruel story. And I think about another daughter, my daughter, whose name is Amy, about the same age as Gandhi. This is a picture I took of her just a couple weeks ago. She has that, Dad, you're taking my picture expression. So, uh, <laughs> but she's beautiful, but I love her, and I want everything for her that Gandhi's parents want for, her, for their daughter. But strangely enough, my daughter Amy also can live in a too small story. It's the story of affluence, the story of privilege, shopping malls and video games and small pleasures that we're able to purchase. And I do not want Amy to end up with that story that really, when you're growing up in America, can for a while seem big enough. It's not big enough for her. She's an image bearer of God. She's an image restorer in God's global mission. What I won't most want for Amy, in a way, is I want her to get to meet someone like Gandhi. I want them to become partners together in something bigger than either of them. Something that could make sense of their whole lives and the whole story of this beautiful broken world. And Gandhi gave me a way to name what it is. And this is how I want to end. After I asked Gandhi what she wanted to do uh, when she grew up, and she said she wanted to be a doctor, I was trying to think of what else to ask her. Uh, and so I thought, oh, I should ask, uh, what do you like to do after school? What do you do just, uh, you know, when you're done with your homework and so forth after school? And Gandhi replied, ah, uh, my friends and I free slaves. <laughs> so I said, well, tell me what you mean. She said, well, there are still a few children in our district. 
who are still in the system of bonded labor. So after school, my friends and I go, and we go to the money lender, she said, this powerful man in this community. She said, we tell him, what you're doing is illegal. You can be thrown in jail, which now was true. It never, the law had never been enforced before, but now it was being enforced. And she said, then we go to the child, and we say, you don't have to stay. You, are, you, you cannot be held here. Come with us. Come to school tomorrow. We'll find you a uniform. We'll restore you to the community. You are free. We free slaves, she said. I realized I had just met my first 12-year-old abolitionist. (laughs) And I told Jai Kumar, the head of World Vision, this. And he said, oh, I love that she said, we free slaves. He said she didn't say, World Vision free slaves. He said, now I know it's almost time for World Vision to begin to leave. Because if 12-year-olds in this district are now joining this story... It's time for us to let them bear the image and restore the image where they are. I think there's a big enough story that includes Gandhi, includes Amy, includes all of us. What is God's will for these two young women? That they bear the image, take up their calling where they are, that they be rescued from idolatry and injustice, the things that rob us of the true image, and that they join God's global rescue mission, restoring His image in every part of the world so that every part of the groaning creation can be brought to the flourishing for which it was made. To do this, they will need to be joined together in a community that's bigger than them. How will they ever meet? How will they ever partner if God does not begin to break down all the walls that divide us in our own neighborhoods, in our own nations, across the world, and calls us together into the one community with a big enough story, the church. And what is the church's mission? I think we actually already have it from Gandhi. We free slaves. Slaves of oppression, slaves of comfort. Slaves of injustice and idolatry, slaves of the ill-gotten fruits of injustice and idolatry. Slaves of success and ambition, slaves of failure and disappointment, slaves of every too-small story, even Tom Brady. The church is here to set them free, to be agents of freedom, to join the only story big enough to hold the whole world, the plan for the ages that was hidden until now, until us. So let's pray. Friends of Christ Church, mission partners from all the world, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power, through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints this big enough story, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more, then we can ask or imagine to him as we worship, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said,
Amen.